0: Good morning, Um, for those of you who walked in here today and you were excited to hear from Carlos, um, I want to apologize in advance uh, because you are stuck with me for the next 35 minutes, Um, they say there's there's a fine line between a hostage situation and a long boring sermon so uh, we'll see. So if you don't know me, my name is Justin Hester. I'm the new executive pastor here, as mentioned a bit ago. Started January 1. Uh, If you don't know, I'm moving from Colorado Springs. Uh, My youngest daughter, Katie, graduates in May, so I'm flying back and forth uh, until she graduates and we can sell our house and find a home here. Uh, This is what my uh, house, my backyard, has looked like um, multiple times this winter. Um, I'll tell you, I'm gonna really miss that. I'll miss it, especially when it snows and it's a beautiful bluebird day and the sun's shining on it. But what I will not miss is shoveling my driveway multiple times. Um, I flew in last week and of course, the day that I flew in, there was another big heavy dump of snow after I left and so my wife had the pleasure of shoveling five inches of heavy, wet snow. And if you haven't had that opportunity, Uh, It's like shoveling dirt, heavy dirt. So, Jonna, I don't know where you are, what camera to look in, but I'm sorry I wasn't there. I love you. I miss you. Um, Yeah. All right, so a couple weeks ago, Carlos kicked off a new sermon series entitled Good News That Makes for Great Stories. And through Easter, what we're going to do is we're going to look at some different stories in the book of Luke where people have an encounter with Jesus and it changed their lives. And we're also gonna hear from members from our own church body who are gonna come up here and share their story about how Jesus has impacted them. So by way of introduction, what I wanna do is share my story with you today. Um, I grew up out in West Texas in oil country, grew up in a great family, and uh, it was in ninth grade when I first began to be curious about a relationship with Jesus, hear about this relationship with Jesus. I started attending FCA, uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, on Monday nights and to be honest with you, most of the people that went to FCA on Monday night uh, went to FCA on Monday nights because it helped them feel better about what they had done on Friday and Saturday nights. So, the leader of this group uh, was a couple, Mr. and Mrs. Ken Marks, uh, Ken and Mary Lee, and they, they genuinely loved high school kids. Uh, they'd feed us, we'd have some fun, and then he'd give a little message to the group. And, and honestly, I don't remember anything he said in any of those messages. I remember mostly that they were boring, and it was just blah, 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 blah. But I will vividly always remember how we ended every single meeting. And he would have us circle up in his living room, and he would have us lock hands, and then he would break the circle and there was a a break between two people in the circle and we're sitting there and he says, hey, there's always room in my living room for more. Invite your friends. And so we would sit there, we'd hold hands or we'd stand there, we're holding hands and he would end the meeting the same way every single time and he would lock eyes with every single high schooler and he would say, I love you, I love you, I love you. I love you, and, and, and to be honest with you, I hated it. It was awkward, and I, I would dread it when he would lock eyes with me. I had never grown up hearing a grown man say that out loud. That was something that you said in the privacy of your home, and, but, but I knew that he genuinely loved high school kids. And so, and, and I knew that it overflowed from his relationship with Jesus, and so I was curious about it, I was drawn to it. Uh, later into my sophomore year, I, uh, I was unhappy with the direction my life was going, hanging out with the same group of friends since elementary school, and, and, and the decisions we were making are kind of going in this direction. And I remember laying in bed and just saying like, God, if you're there, if you're real, I I don't like where my life is headed. Would you do something in my life that lets me know that you're there and you're real? And about a week later, forgetting about that prayer, some friends and I had this plan that we were gonna sneak out of our houses. Uh, My friend Billy was gonna pick us up. He had his driver's license and um, we were gonna steal hood ornaments. And if you didn't have the pleasure of growing up in the 80s, um, you'll see here in a second what uh, hood ornaments, so these would be two coveted hood ornaments at the time. So Billy provided beverages in the car, and we were stealing hood ornaments, and we were walking around, and we just drive through neighborhoods, and one on one side of the street, one on the other, and and those things were just kind of held on by this cable, and you could sit there, and you could just pop them, and then pop them off, and here's your hood ornament, what what we were going to do with them, I don't know, but uh, we're doing that, and then all of a sudden, these red and blue flashing lights start going off, you know, my friend Billy, he's driving without his headlights on, and a uh, police officer comes up, shines in the car, and in between, like, I'm trying to shove these hood ornaments underneath the seat, and, and, and. And I'm, I'm not exactly sure what the final tally was, but it was in the 80s. I think it was 83 hood ornaments that we had in the back seat of that car. He looks at those, sees the beverages, and is like gets us out. And he goes through the whole thing with us. Like we have to put our hands on the hood of the car. He frisks us, handcuffs us, and uh, that is not comfortable. Um, and and we ride to the police station handcuffed. And, and for me, I was scared to death, one. Secondly, uh, I had this flooding sense of peace. And I felt like God had answered my prayer. Like I knew I was going to, this was the beginning of summer. I knew it was going to be grounded like for the whole summer. And it was going to be the opportunity I had to create some distance between myself and these shenanigans. And, you know, I remember calling my dad from the police station. Uh, my dad picks me up. I don't think my dad said a single word all the way home. I walk into the house, my mom's like blubbering on the couch, she's a fainter by nature, and she gets up off the couch and her knees just buckle and she hits the floor. She doesn't faint, but my, and my dad's like, do you see what you've done to your mom? And I just couldn't wait to get to my bedroom. I get to my bedroom, I get down on my knees, on my uh, Get next to my bed, my water bed, another great 80s invention. Um, so on my knees, and I just prayed this prayer out loud that, that I'd heard Mr. Marks and Mrs. Marks pray in a, in a broken way that a high school kid who didn't really know what was going on, and I just said, God, I'm sorry, I want to live for you for the rest of my life. And my life has not been the same since that night. I went on to school at Texas A&M, Giggle Maggie's, um, met my wife there, Jonna, uh, graduated. We got jobs and we started this little Bible study for college students uh, outside of a church in Austin, outside of Austin, Texas. And we met some people during that time who worked for the Navigators and we got recruited to work with the NAVs and and minister to college students. and, and, And I just said, yes, God, I'll do this. I will go wherever you want me to go, as long as it's within the state of Texas. (laughs) And so thankfully, God sent us to Texas Tech University. We were there for a little while, five years, and then in God's sense of humor, he sent us to Penn State University, which was a really an amazing experience. It was there that uh, my path and John Chanel's path crossed. He was a graduating senior when I got there and lived in our house for a period of time. And then later on, the NAVS asked us to come here to the University of Georgia to pioneer a new ministry. And I was like, I don't know. And, um, and then they sweetened the pot and said, hey, we'll send John and Joy with you. And I'm like, okay, I'm in. So I, we were here with John and Joy uh, from 2010 to 14 in Oconee County. And then the Lord asked us uh, th- through the Navigators to move to the Pacific Northwest. So... We took a regional director role in the Pacific Northwest. We moved into Oregon and Looney Tune land. Um, anything that you could imagine that you, about that place, just multiply it times 10 and, and it, it's true, it's, it's crazy. But it was beautiful, it was hard, and, uh, and, and uh, we loved it and struggled at the same time. And then the Lord sent us to Colorado and they've had a role in two regions. The last three years, and the Lord's had me on an incredible journey the last 35 years, and it all began that night coming home from the police station, and and that and that journey has ultimately led me uh, to being here today. And if you had told me a year ago I'd be standing here in front of you, I just I I wouldn't even have been able to fathom that. Uh, But I'm honored to be here. I'm excited to be here. And uh, I'm excited to serve this church and this community and see the kingdom of God advance. So what I'd like to ask you to do now is open up your Bibles to Luke 5. So Luke 5, 17 through 26. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at an encounter with Jesus that he had with a group of people. If you are a part of Wadi Weekend, you're going to recognize this story. We're looking at the story in Luke 5. Uh, you guys heard a great message from Mark 2, which is the companion uh, story that Mark has. And um, I'm going to take a little different angle than what you heard at Wadi Weekend. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a few verses, I'm going to make some observations, and I'm going to ask you some questions. So l- let's read Luke 5, 17 through 19. Another great thing about the 80s is the NIV 1984 Bible. I am reading from NIV 1984. Um, All right, so here we go. Uh, Luke 5, uh, 17 through 19. One day as he was teaching, this is Jesus, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd they went up on the roof lowered him down on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of jesus now, i want to give you just a little background here um this is fairly on, early on in jesus's public ministry he's performed miracles already healings driven out demons and luke 4 if you back up you'll see some resistance beginning in his ministry Uh, He was in his hometown of Nazareth, said some things, angered some people. They drove him out of town, even tried to throw him off a cliff. And then Jesus uh, has to leave. And so he moves up to a place called Capernaum. You'll see this on a map here in just a sec. Uh, Capernaum is at the top of the Sea of Galilee, at the top of the map. If you go 20, 30 miles southwest, you'll see Nazareth. So he flees from Nazareth to Capernaum, and he makes his home base of ministry here, uh, uh, this fishing village off the Sea of Galilee. And, and this is Peter's hometown, Andrew's hometown. And, and Jesus more than likely stayed with Peter. And there's quite a bit of buzz about Jesus' ministry. Uh, he's drawing crowds wherever he goes, and in this story, people begin to hear about it and they began gathering in this house where Jesus is. And mixed into this crowd is this group of Pharisees and teachers of the law. It says that they came from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. So everywhere that you see on this map, some of those religious leaders have come up here and they're skeptical and they're questioning and they're wondering what's going on. So words spreading quickly. This is the first time that the Pharisees are mentioned in the book of Luke. These guys are the promoters, keepers, and studiers of the Jewish law, which was basically salvation by works, earning your salvation. Uh, These guys were self-righteous, corrupt. Uh, They had gained positions of power, and they did not want to give it up. Uh, They did not consider themselves sinners. Uh, they, They were righteous. They were right with God, and they were better than everyone else. So here's Jesus. He's teaching that crowd of religious, kind of theology departments there, and then you got regular people from the village that are there. And this story, so many people have gathered inside this house and outside this house. And you know, we're we're talking about a little s- small home at this time. You know, it's not some McMansion. Uh, you, maybe a hundred, hundred and fifty people. And and at the same time, there's this paralyzed man in town, and. And he and his friends hear that Jesus is back. And the last time that Jesus was in town, he healed uh, people. And, and you can see that in Luke 4.40. And, and then they think that, you know, maybe perhaps that Jesus could heal our friend. So the four of them, in some ways, probably picking up the corner of the mat, they carry this guy to Jesus. There's no wheelchairs, you know, in this time. But they encounter a problem when they get there. There's no room for them to get in. And then, you know, you're reading the story, and sometimes you can just kind of read through, but, like, it it takes a funny twist. Like, you don't know what the dialogue is, but somebody had to say, like, hmm, I've got an idea. Why don't we climb these stairs, let's get up on the roof, and let's dig through this roof, move those tiles, make a big hole, and we'll lower our friend down right there and somehow amazingly they all decided that that's a good idea so they do so Jesus is teaching he they hear things on the roof you're wondering you know and then all of a sudden like a little sunlight comes through and then dirt's falling through you are know, like you know the guy who owns his house is if you know maybe it's Peter I don't know it's like this is my this is my house this is my roof what are you doing and the hole gets bigger and all of a sudden you know like people are looking up and other people are looking down and then here comes this body down right there in front of this crowd and then and then Jesus makes a statement that you don't see coming so Luke 5 20 says when Jesus saw their faith he said friend your sins are forgiven now put yourself in that story You've gathered because you've heard about Jesus's past miracles. You you may have been in this town and you observed one, and that paralyzed man is coming down right in front of Jesus. And I'm thinking, maybe you're thinking, the people are thinking, like, I bet something amazing's about to happen. I bet I bet he's going to heal him. And then Jesus says, "Friend, your sins are forgiven." No, no one was prepared for that. It doesn't make sense in the story. You know, the the four friends have made all this effort to get there they've made this effort to make this hole in the roof and and it's like what like we we came for some visible healing not some invisible forgiveness like like we have a buddy here and he he needs his legs and this brings me to my first question that that I want to ask you this morning you know see it up here is what is man's greatest need And Jesus puts his finger on it in this story. Our greatest need is forgiveness. In Ephesians 2, 1, it says that we are dead in our sins, meaning because of sin in our lives, we're eternally dead to the Lord and we will suffer eternally in hell. And the fact is is that Jesus didn't come to make our lives better. He he didn't come to just get us, you've seen that commercial, um, he, he came, on a life-saving mission not better jobs not better relationships not better kids not for better political leaders not even to heal us physically it's not that he's not concerned about those things but he knows what we truly all need he could have healed the paralyzed man right there and that would have been remarkable but then that man was going to die some years later and and here we are in 2024 And that man has been dead for 2,000 years. What he really needed was spiritual healing. He needed forgiveness. He needed eternal life. Uh, uh, Sometime back, my wife and I moved into a different neighborhood, and uh, we got to know this couple that was living next to us, this new neighbor and Mr. and Mrs. Walker. They were in their 70s, and, and when first meeting Mr. Walker you can look at him and you're like, man, Mr. Walker's lived a, a hard life. He was a formidable man. Um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a fad now to have like your tats and some people have their full sleeves and maybe on their leg and you know, it's all fancy and professionally done. But Mr. Walker had like the homemade variety. He had like a full sleeve, but they were done like, like if you'd see somebody in prison but I had decided, like, I'm going to become friends friends with Mr. Walker. And I got to know him and borrow tools from him and mow his grass for him. And then he'd watch my house when I'm out of town. I'd watch his. And um, we became buddies. And about two years after living there, we had been gone for the whole summer serving with the NAVs uh, at, a, at a training program. And he calls me when he sees that we're back. And he just tells me he's really sick. And he says, hey, would you pray for me? Uh, I know you're close to God. I can't can't eat my food anymore. I have to blend it up and and swallow it slowly through the day. And I said, sure. Asked a few questions, hung up. And after I got off the phone, I thought, man, I know what Mr. Walker really needs. And I called him back and I said, Mr. Walker, I'm going to pray for you. But can I come over and pray for you? Can I share a few verses with you? And he said, sure. So I, so I went over to his house. I sat down at his kitchen table. And with a knot in my stomach, I said, Mr. Walker, I will pray for you. And I will ask God to heal you. But even if he does heal you, you are eventually going to die. And we're all going to die. And I want you to know that God offers you spiritual healing for eternity could I share a few verses with you? And he agreed. I shared a gospel presentation with him. He wept there at his kitchen table, and he prays to receive Christ with me. And Mr. Walker, that morning, he receives his eternal healing, and he passed away about a year later. And here's the deal. Statistics show that one out of one people are going to die. There's no getting around it. We can add a few years to our lives by organic eating, running, working out, being healthy. But then there's eternity. First John 8 and 9, you'll see it up here. It says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And that's a promise from the Lord that as we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and he'll forgive us. So our greatest need is forgiveness. All right, Luke five twenty-one through 25, keep going here. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he'd been lying on, and went home praising God. Two things that really stand out to me in verse 20, it says that Jesus saw their faith. And in verse 22, it says, Jesus knew what they were thinking. And who can see invisible faith? And who can know what someone's thinking? Only God alone. The religious leaders, they acknowledge that there in verse 21. Who's this fellow who speaks blasphemy, they say? Who can forgive sins but God alone? They knew that God forgave sins. They just couldn't accept that Jesus was God. So then to prove that he could forgive sins, he heals the man right there in front of them. So question two you'll see up here is, have you been forgiven and spiritually healed by Jesus? There's no greater question to consider. Eternity is a very long time and Jesus offers you and me forgiveness. It is not sin that sends people to hell. It is unforgiven sin that sends people to hell. If you're here and you don't know Jesus as your savior, I wanna encourage you to do business with God today. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed this afternoon. And if this is all new to you, and you're curious about Jesus, you got questions, and I'd love to talk to you. Come find me. Find anyone on staff. You've got a friend here who knows Jesus. Ask them. Don't put it off. Secondly, is there evidence in your life that you have been forgiven? When the paralyzed man was healed, he got up and he walked. And no one wondered, hmm, was he healed? like these people knew, like they had seen him, uh, the people that lived in that town, they had seen him laying there for years. There was no question about it. Is there evidence in your life that you've been spiritually healed? Saving faith and forgiveness produces a changed life. If there's no change in your life, I'd strongly encourage you to examine yourselves. Second Corinthians thirteen five. You'll see it behind me. It says, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? He's not saying here we need to be perfect or free from sin. But he's, but he's basically saying is, is, if you've been spiritually healed, if you've been forgiven, if Christ is living in you, there will be evidence in your life of that. So is there evidence in your life? Third question, who carried you to Jesus? Again, if you're at Wadi Weekend, you heard a great message on friendship and how those four friends carried their friend to Christ. I want to look at it from a little different angle. Who in your life took a risk and shared the gospel with you? Maybe a parent, a youth leader, a coach, a friend, and as I mentioned earlier, for me it was Mr. Marks, Mrs. Marks, my FCA leader. They carried me and many, many other high schoolers to Christ every Monday night. I can only imagine that there were some Mondays that were hard Mondays at work, and yet there was always room in his house for high schoolers. And I'm so thankful for them. And I've told them repeatedly over the years. And and here's my challenge and application to you. I'm, I want to encourage you to think through who carried you to Christ, who told you about this forgiveness and was instrumental in you trusting Christ. And if you haven't done so, I want to encourage you to call them and thank them. Write them a letter, write them a note. They were an instrument, a conduit for God to give you the greatest gift that could ever be given. So thank them. Question four, who are you carrying to Jesus? If you're a follower of Christ, he invites you and me on this incredible life-saving mission when we trust him. Romans 10, 14, you'll see here, says, How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them or telling them? That verse, many other verses in the Bible, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, those aren't just for pastors, for people who went to seminary or super Christians. If you trusted Christ last week, those are your marching orders. If you trusted Christ 30 years ago, those are your marching orders. God wants to use you, he wants to use me to take this amazing life-giving message life-saving message to others it's plan a and there is no plan b it's crazy like why would he choose that we are plan a i don't know but he did we're it and it's an amazing privilege and i'll, I'll confess to you that i've been walking with jesus for 35 years then telling about jesus to others for 35 years and when it comes down to it i'm just a big chicken i'm a, i'm a chicken I have an allergic reaction to awkward conversations, to being uncomfortable. Uh, I'm not like super clever in the moment and have this witty little response to somebody's argument. But I want people to know Jesus. And I think about what Mr. Marks did for me and I want to be that for somebody else. And if you aren't if you're here and you aren't sure how to apply that, how how do you do that? Could I just suggest one thing? Make a list of five people in your life who don't know the Lord. Write their names down, put it on a note card, put it in your Bible, put it on a mirror, put it someplace where you're gonna see it. And I ask you to pray over their names out loud and ask the Lord to open their hearts, ask the Lord to give you an opportunity. And as you talk about them with the Lord, as you pray for them, my experience is god gives you opportunities and god changes their hearts so in closing here i want to tell you about my friend jack Uh, jack was an elder with me at my previous church jack was a youth pastor in the mid-1980s he was skiing on a youth retreat had an accident and broke his back and he was paralyzed from the chest down Uh, Jack has about 60% use of his arms and his hands, and his wife has been caring for him for 40 years. Jack can't bathe himself, can't go to the bathroom by himself, can't clothe himself, can't get in and out of his scooter, can't get in and out out of bed. And despite being paralyzed and not having feeling. He has these incredible cramp-like pains one to two days every week where he's in such excruciating pain that he can't get out of bed, and he's just moaning. And can you imagine if Jesus shows up in Jack's bedroom and Jesus heals Jack physically? I would venture that Jack would stand up and marvel, and then he would fall at Jesus' feet, and worship him and want to follow him and obey him for the rest of his life and could you imagine jack being like oh thanks and then just going on about his life as if nothing happened indifferent to that gift no way in this story it says upon being healed the paralyzed man went home praising god and the last verse here in luke 5 26 it says everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. The paralyzed man in this story represents you and me. That we, apart from Christ, are, were spiritually paralyzed, without hope, and on a pathway to eternity without the Lord. And then Jesus stepped into our lives, oftentimes through someone telling us about him, and he heals us into eternity. And I'll confess to you that sometimes I forget that. Sometimes I'm indifferent to that. With the pain and distractions and burdens of life, we can lose sight of this incredible thing that God has done us, this miracle. I heard that song, Crowns Down, a couple of weeks ago, and I asked Caleb, could you guys learn that and play it? And they're amazing and did. And I bet I've listened to it 75 times in the last two weeks. And it's a song about worshiping the Lord and offering your life as a living sacrifice for him because of what he's done in you. And so we're going to close here. We're going to sing that together and just worship the Lord and thank him for what he's done.